Mark chapter 7, we're going to read uh, verses 31 to the end of the chapter. says in verse 31, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they there brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on this man. So Jesus, taking him aside from the crowd privately, put his fingers into the man's ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. So Jesus charged them not to tell anyone. But the more that he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Lord Jesus, there is nothing there's nothing that is too great for you to accomplish. There is no disease. There is no disability. There is no impediment that blocks you from accomplishing your purposes. Even as we look at this passage and look at this account of this miraculous healing that you accomplished in your ministry here on earth, There isn't any block to our understanding. There isn't any barrier to our hearing your spirit speak here this morning. So we pray that you would work in our hearts the message that you have for us today. And that as we, as we hear you, as we listen to your spirit speak to us here this morning, that we would be drawn deeper into a greater intimacy, a greater appreciation, a greater love, and a greater desire to serve as your children. So teach us now, Lord. Amen. Jesus is intentionally going deeper into Gentile territory. You remember last week, Marcus showed us a couple of maps um, that showed us where this area is. Let's see if I can get there. Too far. So this is the land of Israel. Most of Jesus' ministries we have been following here through Mark has been surrounding the Sea of Galilee. Um, 
in, in the areas that are uh, strongly populated by Jewish people. Um, but as we saw last week, Jesus started moving out towards more Gentile territory, up into Phoenicia, into Syria. So last week he was in Tyre, and there we saw him interact with the Syrophoenician woman. The woman, as Matthew said, the woman who had great faith. Um, and now Jesus is moving, and, and, and Mark kind of words it a little bit interesting. He says that, that uh, um, he was returning from the region of Tyre through Sidon so that he could get to the Sea of Galilee, to the Decapolis. That's kind of a long way around. <laughs> Some people have tried to, to postulate that, that this whole excursion, this this movement that Jesus had out of the Jewish predominant areas into uh, a more Gentile area was an, uh, an attempt on his part to try and get away from the, the conflict and the tensions that were growing because of the things that he had been saying and doing, the, the conflict that he was having with the religious elite, the religious leaders of the time. And, and, and we have seen that, that tension and that... that, that uh, 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 Persecution starting to build more and more against Jesus. I don't know that that's exactly what's happening. I don't know that, 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 that that's why Jesus is making this foray into this area away from Jewish people and more towards Gentile people. The reason that I don't think that is because as we've been reading, you'll, you'll, you'll have noted Jesus isn't avoiding conflict with people. In fact, more often he is initiating, he is pushing the boundary, he, he's challenging people's expectations of him and, and shaking them up. His, his, his activities have not been trying to placate or trying to minimize conflict. He wants to push people to, to recognize that their ideas, their expectations of who the Messiah is and the things that the Messiah will do are wrong. And they need to shed that in order to be able to come to him and understand his true mission and message to them. I think instead that this is, as Marcus pointed out last week, this is, this is Jesus Christ. Showing his disciples that his message of hope, that his, his offer of life and grace to the Jewish people is not just confined to the Jews, but that it is for all nations, for all people. And it starts with the Jews, but then it spreads out to the rest of the nations. That was the purpose of the Jews. That was God's plan for the Jewish people. Was that they would be his witnesses. That they would be that true and honest witness in the world. That, that they as God's special people would be able to proclaim the, the, the truth about God to all of the rest of the nations. 
The rules that he put in to keep them separate were to, to help them stand out amongst the nations, not for them to cloister in tight to stay away from other people and, and keep that message for themselves. And yet that's exactly what they did. As, as Marcus pointed out last week, there was an arrogance towards the Gentiles. There was this feeling of superiority, and so they were using terms like dogs and and and, and all kinds of other derogatory terms to refer to Gentile people. Jesus was was again attacking people's expectations. His message wasn't just for God's special people, the Jews, but it was for all people. And so we see that happening again. It is interesting, as we're reading through this story, the similarities that there are to some of the others, to uh, particularly that that key and significant miracle that we talked about way back when, when Jesus healed the man who was paralyzed, where his friends brought him to Jesus and the house was full, they couldn't get to Jesus, and so lowered him down through the roof. Just like there was a group of friends who cared so much for his for their for their disabled friend, that they did whatever they could to bring him to Jesus. Here we also have they, verse 32, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. I think there's a reason that that Mark is telling the story in this way. It's because it's how it happened, but also... (laughs) Because he's making this connection. You remember how significant that miracle was. That all of the the Jewish leaders, the elite religious people had come out to Capernaum to be able to hear this message that that this this man, this Jesus who who had been proclaiming a, a, a message of repentance, who had been able to heal a Jewish leper, which had never been done before. And that was that sign that, that, that the Messiah had come. And so they came out to hear who this man was who was claiming to be the Messiah. And Jesus, when he healed the man who had been lowered down, says to him, My son, your sins are forgiven. And all of the religious elite said, Will not hold it. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, knowing what was in their minds, said, What's easier? To say to a man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, Pick up your bed and walk. But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. And he turns to them and he says, Son, pick up your bed and walk. And what happened? What was the reaction of all of the people? All of the people, it says there in Mark, everyone praised God. Lord amazed. Everybody that was there, all of the religious elite, recognized who Jesus was at that moment. 
They recognized the title that Jesus used as Son of Man, the, the divine one that Daniel had prophesied about. They recognized that, that he was the promised Messiah, and they, in scriptures, knew that the Messiah was divine, God himself, come to rescue them, because only God was able to redeem was able to rescue, was able to save them. And so at that moment, all of the religious leaders recognized who Jesus was, that he was claiming to be God, that he was the Messiah, and what did they do? They praised God. And in the next few verses, Jesus attacked their expectations of what the Messiah was, and, and within less than a chapter, they were plotting with the Herodians how they would destroy him. It was a significant moment because they recognized who God was. Look at the, state, the, the distinction about this interaction. Similar kinds of things that are happening here where, <clears throat> where Jesus, Jesus has somebody that is brought to him by friends, and it's the faith of the friends in who Jesus is, in who Jesus is that, that prompted him to have compassion on the one who needed healing. You'll also notice the perfection, the completion of Jesus' healing in this man's life. Just like the man who was, who was uh, paralyzed, when Jesus said, get up and walk, it wasn't just that he was healed, but he also had the strength and the coordination to make his muscles move so they could actually walk. It wasn't like he had to go through physiotherapy for the next several months to be able to build up and learn have the muscle memory to actually walk. He knew how to walk. The, the, the miracle, the healing was complete. It was perfect. Look at this man. This man who, who was deaf, and we all know, have heard, maybe don't know deaf people, but have heard deaf people who have been born deaf, who, who've never been able to actually hear sounds. They're able to communicate, they're able to, to speak, but it's only because they're able to feel the vibrations of other people speaking. And so they've learned to, to mimic those, those vibrations through their own vocal, vocal cords. But it's, it's garbled, it's not quite clear, as there's, because they haven't actually heard the sounds, and that's kind of the, the speech impediment that this man has. He, is, he was born deaf, never heard anything. He was able to communicate, but it was garbled, it wasn't clear. There was this impediment to him actually being able to communicate well. And when Jesus heals him, he speaks plainly. He hadn't heard everybody else now. He had, in that moment, hadn't heard all of the, the words that anybody could ever say and so was able to learn all the things that he had been doing wrong with his speech before. He didn't have to unlearn all of those wrong patterns that he had of communication. He was able to speak clearly. Jesus' healing, his miracles, are perfect. They're complete. Do you get the significance of that? We who are dead in our sins, 
We who are unable to rescue ourselves. When Jesus comes and gives us life, it's perfect. It's complete. We stand before the Father clothed in the very righteousness and the purity and the perfection of Christ himself. And in Jesus, we have all that we need for life and godliness. His healing is perfect. So Jesus, Jesus' miracle that he is performing here on this deaf uh, man with the, with the speech impediment has, has all of these connections back. And the response of the people is the same. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The people recognize what has happened to him. The people recognize the healing power. They recognize who Jesus is. And Jesus' fame and, and, and ministry continues to grow there within Gentile territory. Amongst the people that the Jews thought had no business ever trying to interact, ever trying to connect with God. It is a, a powerful statement. It's interesting. The, the word that is used here in, in Greek for the speech impediment, that we translate speech impediment, some of your translations might use some different words that he couldn't, uh, his tongue was, was uh, uh, what does it say? Bound. Pardon me? Bound. Bound, yeah. Uh, there's a number of different ways that it's translated, but that Greek word that is there is, um, I have it written down here someplace. Oh, there we go. Uh, Mogileon. Mogileon. This is the only place that's used in the New Testament, this word for speech impediment. There is one other place that it's used in the Bible, and that's in the Old Testament. Now, you'll know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, more or less. Uh, but the Jews did create a Greek translation of the Old Testament before Jesus was around. And that was the most common um, the most common version that was in the hands of most people because Greek was the standard language, was the, the common language amongst most of the people. And so everybody that was doing business or anything could speak Greek. And so they had determined that they should translate the, the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. That translation is called the Septuagint. And the one other place that the Greek word mogileon is used in Scripture comes from Isaiah. Keep your finger in Mark. Flip over to Isaiah. Hold with me for a second. We're looking for Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35 is a key passage in, in the structure of Isaiah's uh, prophecy. Uh, prior to this, we, if, if you go from about uh, 
chapter 26 on, there's, there's a lot of, of uh, prophecies about God's wrath being poured out. There's condemnation and judgment on the nations that are surrounding Israel, um, uh, surrounding Judah and Israel, and also referring specifically to Jerusalem and, and Judah itself. There are some, uh, some uh, judgments that are, are poured out against uh, the, the Jewish people as well. And, and chapter 34 specifically names all the nations. It says, uh, Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and let all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. The Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious at all their hosts. It's like this is the culmination of all of this judgment that, that Isaiah has been prophesying up until this point against all the nations. And, and he's been talking about Egypt, and he's been talking about Tyre, he's been talking about Phoenicia and Syria and all of these other nations. And it comes to this head in chapter 34 of, Hear, O nations, the Lord is enraged. And then we get to chapter 35, and everything all of a sudden shifts. 35 verse 1, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. God through the prophet Isaiah starts talking about, yes, I have this judgment and this wrath against the people, but I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to rescue this fallen world and make all things new. Right, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those that have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and will recompense of God, and he will come and save you. Listen to this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open. What's going to happen when God comes to rescue? He's going to start opening up people's eyes so that they can see the truth. The eyes of the blind shall be open. The ears of the deaf un. Stopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute of the mogulano, the very same word, the, the, the tongue of the one whose, whose tongue is bound, will sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool. Just listen to this transformation that's happening as the Spirit of God is coming and renewing and bringing life into all that is dead. The burning sand, oh, I said that. The thirsty ground springs of water in the haunts of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. And the highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk in the way. 
Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall the ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And then this wonderful message of hope. I don't know if this is a song that you sang when you were a kid going in camp and stuff. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sin will flee away. When Mark chooses to use this word, Mogalana, he's referring back to the only other place that it's ever used in Scripture. Jesus has come to make the way of holiness. To bring to all the people that are following him ransomed and redeemed. To bring them to Zion. To put an end to the sorrow and sadness and to bring joy. That's the message of hope that Jesus is bringing Tyre and Sidon, and then down here in the Decapolis, where he heals this man. This way of holiness is as much available to the Gentiles as it is to the Jews. And these are lessons that the disciples were probably missing at the time. But when the Holy Spirit came in, as, as, the, the, as the Lord continued to grow the church when Jesus had ascended and gone into heaven. They remembered this trip. And it was, yes, the message of hope is for all peoples. You notice also one of the things about Jesus healing here. Verse 34 says, I'm back in in Mark, by the way. Mark chapter 7, verse 34. Looking up to heaven, he sighed. There's a couple of times in Mark where Jesus sighs. <laughs> Some of those sighs are sighs of exasperation and frustration because are you still not getting it? Talking to his disciples. This is not that kind of sigh. This is Jesus looking up to heaven and breathing out the Spirit of God. This reminds me of the passage in John where Jesus gathers his disciples and he's getting ready to pass on the mantle onto them and he breathes on them. And they are equipped for the ministry. In Hebrew, both in Hebrew and in Greek, breath and wind and spirit are all the same word. Jesus sighed and said, Ephatha, be opened. We need our ears open. In our 
in our sinfulness, in our weakness, our ears are stopped against the truth of God. And we need Jesus to breathe his spirit on us, to have his fingers in our ears, to, to clear them out, to unlock them, so that we can hear God's voice in our lives. We need our, our tongues to be set free. The, the, the Greek word that's being used here is, is, is it's actually literally the, the shackles of his tongue were released. It was like there was iron bars that were holding his tongue in place, keeping him from being able to speak plainly. And our sinfulness, our weakness, binds our tongue from clearly being able to worship and praise our God. For being able to speak His truth into a world who so desperately needs to hear Him. And we need Jesus to come and breathe inside on us His Spirit that will release and unshackle our tongues. So that as we interact in our world, as we go about our day, we're able to speak the praises of our God. We're able to, to speak the truth of God into people's lives. The word, that conduit of directing people to know for themselves the love and saving power of Jesus Christ. We need the Spirit to be able to do that. As I've been preparing this sermon and going through this passage this week, there's been something else that's been on my heart that has become my prayer for us as a congregation. And that is looking forward to November the 19th when we gather together as a church family to go through and talk about about our values, to talk about the, the things that we've identified as, as things that we like and, and, and don't like, the, the challenges that we see that we're facing here in this congregation. God has been moving in our midst. He has been growing and, and, and transforming who we are. Who we are as his people. And the leadership team has... Has, has determined that, that we need to, to come together as God's people to talk through what are the, the values that God is shaping within our hearts that are going to, to, to guide and direct and motivate the, the decisions, the, the ways that we interact together, the ways that we build relationship. God wants us not to just come here on a regular basis and just kind of sit next to one another, talk about the weather, talk about the nice things that are going on in our lives. God is wanting us to go deep in relationship with one another, to be able to know the heart of one another. And Satan, Satan's going to want to stop our ears. To block us from being able to hear the truth that each other is speaking. So that we that we stay shallow. That we stay 
common and, and, and somewhat disconnected from one another because he knows that when we start knowing one another, experiencing life together, where we are sharing deeply from our hearts with one another, that's going to that's gonna be sparking a fire the fire in our lives that, that he will not be able to put out. It will, be, it will be fanning the flames of our passion for knowing more about God in, in discovering how you can help me know God better. And it will be throwing gasoline on those flames that will then run like wildfire in this community. This region that has been so gripped for so long by all kinds of, uh, 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 of spiritual falseness. Of generations of people who have, who have given their hearts over to new age spirituality, to, uh, to worship of, of, of the evil of the old cult and all that kind of stuff. There is a great darkness on this island. <laughs> but Jesus is working in you, his people, to bring light, to bring awakening, to bring truth and, and restoration. And that's going to happen when we love one another more than we So this week, my, as I've been going through this, I've been praying that God would unstop our ears, that the Spirit would come and unlock us so that we can hear the truth. Not just hear, you know, I really like the open mic time. I don't like the open mic time. I really like lively music. I really like traditional hymns. I really like when the pastor speaks about uh, current events. I really like to hear just the Bible. All of these things that, that we've talked about as far as things that are important to us. All of that's the surface stuff in behind. Why? And that's what we're going to be asking again and again on, on, on November the 19th. You're going to say, I like this. And we're going to ask, why? And you're going to say, well, because this is important to me. Why? And we're going to get down to the heart of what are those values that God is shaping within each one of us. That he is using and, and creating here in this midst so that we can become that, that true and perfect testimony in this world. That we will encourage one another to speak truth. I've been praying that God would unstop our ears, but I've been also praying that God would release our tongues. So we can speak that truth to one another. We don't get caught up in our own agendas. We don't get caught up in the, 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 the current culture and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But we would speak truth into one another's lives. We would be open. It is scary to let people know what are those deep held values. Because when we're vulnerable like that, there's all kinds of opportunity to get hurt. When we allow the Holy Spirit to release our tongues, to, to speak that truth, to, to trust in one another. Oh, there's no telling what he might do in our lives. There's no telling where he might take us. Jesus said, the world 
will know that you are my followers because of your love for one another. Not because of your ability to be able to speak the truth and good sound doctrine, which is good and important. I have nothing against sound doctrine. It's because of our love for one another, our care. And not just, you know, these people, I like these people. It is a love that knows each other. That's willing to sacrifice for each other. That's willing to serve no matter what you have. Can I get you to look to the people that's on your right right now? And then look over to the people who are on your left. <laughs> Those of you on that side have to look over. <laughs> Can I get you to commit to pray for the people that are on your right and the people that are on your left? That in these next few weeks, as we prepare prepare for that meeting together, that we would be praying that, that the person that's on your right, the person that's on your left, that their ears would be unstopped, that the Spirit would come and unlock their ears so that they can hear the truth. Would, would you pray that their tongue would be unshackled? That they would have the confidence and the courage to be able to speak their truth, even though it is risky. While you're at it, pray for yourself. Pray that you would be prepared. That in these next few weeks, the Spirit would do a work in your heart. So that when we come together, we are all tuned into His voice. And we're ready to obey whatever He calls us to. Let's pray. give you a moment right now just to pray for the person on your left and on your right. You might not know their names and that's okay. The Lord knows. You can just describe them as the person with a really nice hair or something. Lord Jesus, we are ready. We're ready to to step past just the status quo. We're ready to to move beyond just the, the casual acquaintance. We are ready to, to go deep in relationship with one another. to know each other in the way that you want us to know each other so that we, as your body, 
effective in our witness and our testimony. That we would become more effective in bearing one another's burdens. That we would become more complete in our ability to sharpen steel on steel. That we would be able to, to, to effectively guide a disciple and, and, and walk, walk through life together. stop our ears or that you would release our tongues and that you would prepare our hearts to know you to serve you to, to follow and obey you no matter where we are